Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new Mindful Conversation on the Artful Athlete podcast. And today I'm pretty excited because I invited a special someone who directed me in the performance that I told you guys about a month ago now. And she's wonderful, she's creative, and she has a lot to say about this little industry of ours. So please give a warm welcome to Desi! Hi! Hello everyone! Nice to be here. I'm really, really happy to be here, actually. Yeah, very, very happy. It's a joy to have you here. Uh, would you mind telling the world a little bit more about yourself? What is it you do? What do you specialize in? What do you like? What do you not like? Share the wisdom. So I um, I direct theater. I'm a theater director. So yeah, I, I, I love theater. Obviously, I love literature. I like new writing. I'm very interested in languages. Also multiple languages on stage and I do like dance theatre and and have a, an interest in movement in general in theatre. When you say different languages do you mean linguistically speaking so for example French, German, Italian, Greek, Arabic or do you also include or see it as a greater form of expression? Yeah I think both of them like obviously I, I have a bachelor in French and English literature and linguistics and I do enjoy different languages but I also mean having something like a, a body language or like a movement language on stage as well as um, for example a blind sign language I think that's really interesting to just have different different forms of language systems on stage so just language is basically everything that we use to communicate with so I think it's it's interesting to see how those different systems of communication interact with each other on stage. Do you think it adds something to a performance to try and have actors explore a language that they're not familiar with? Or should we always strive to have someone who's born and raised or is extremely familiar with the language in the first place? I think it can be really enriching for a performer to actually engage with a language that they are not familiar with yet. And I also do think it's it's really fascinating for an audience if they do have to fill in some gaps, if they're not familiar with a language. And that, again, that can be on a very literal level when I don't understand Mandarin, but I see a performance or part of a performance in Mandarin and I have to fill something in. I think that's really, that's really interesting to me. But also if it's just a system of meaning um, and communication I'm not familiar with to kind of make that extra gap in the mind as an audience. I think that that challenges me and that personally excites me. And it's nice also to be able to bring the challenge and the excitement to your workroom, obviously, because if you are trapped, it's a bit like, imagine you're working for a company and you're really, really, really hating every single second of it and you just get <laughs> utterly bored. We have that and people tend to forget that this is exactly the same thing when it comes to the creative industry and, and arts and rehearsals, no matter if it's theatre or concerts or painting even, if it does not resonate if it is boring, if you are surrounded by, say, toxic personalities or, or toxic and diminishing patterns, it has the same effect as a soul-destroying job. It's not because we're in the creative industry that we're safe from those. No, 100% agree. And also, it's just, it's frankly just boring if you always stay within the limitations of what you know. I, I think... It doesn't matter how long you've been working in the industry, you should always strive to kind of challenge yourself and challenge the room while maintaining a safe space to actually explore these novelties. So yeah, for me, like the whole approach to like movement and intimacy, coordination that I'm really interested in 
that's a very new world for me but it's it's something that that I'm very very passionate about and that I think I would encourage people to just get a bit out of their comfort zone because we're just so we're just so um scared of of failing and really we just need to remember what's the worst that can happen it can happen that people don't like the work okay but no nobody is going to die so as long as you try out things in a safe space really you can only learn from everything that you do so I think that's important to remember as well. When you were talking about the room so coming from a performance background I, I understand the notion of it but how would you describe the room to a non-performance type of audience? So I mean you know you know this from our experience that we just have together that I'm very very precious about the room about the space that I always talk about and I think there's a literal as well as a kind of a spiritual component to it because obviously the room you're rehearsing is the, the very physical space with the floor and the windows and the walls um, if you are lucky to have windows let's <laughs> just put it yes, out there exactly. if you are lucky to and, have and, windows and actually also to have a room because it's incredibly expensive to rent exactly, uh, space yeah. as well so but ideally it's just like the the very physical space where you meet up to rehearse and then within that physical place or room there's there's the space and there's the the room that you have to as a director at least you have to start creating that from day one which which is really the safe space that you initiate so that you make sure that wherever your physical space is because you might not always rehearse in the same physical room or space wherever you are that you can take this spiritual form of the room with you and that the work is held in in this room yeah so i i'm it, it means a lot to me um, to create a room where everybody feels safe and that we can take with us wherever we go to rehearse. When you, because I'm loving that you're talking about spirituality and, and bringing this physical plane into a more ethereal one as well in creation and in rehearsing. I personally hadn't experienced that many rehearsal rooms that had that vision or that sense of elevation if that makes sense because you you strive to you know to create an elevated form of life on stage personally this is mm. one of the visions yes, i have of it we are a mirror of life because mirrors obviously have different qualities you know we've all been to one of these fairs where then you have the mirror that <laughs> makes you seem very tall and the one that makes you seem really really tiny so it's always a very interesting process to try and discover that new mirror and then present it to the public. So it's, it's a different form of life. It's, well, it's a different form of the reflection of life. But in what you were doing to create the space in that visualizing of a golden hoop that would descend, that we would have floating above us, that would descend in which we pour the energy and the work we've done today that then you know, goes around you and seals the creativity in the room, it created safety on the deeper level. Because, you know, I've been in safe mm. rehearsal rooms in the past, obviously, but this had a different flavor to it, if I can say so. Yes. Um. So I've been, I've been in very unsafe rehearsal spaces and I've been in safe rehearsal spaces, spaces, as you say. There are safe spaces that are not necessarily 
Like they are, you feel safe and it's like a neutral form of safe. And then there are spaces that where you feel so held that many other precautions that I personally take almost become superfluous because the space on this spiritual level is already on a on a completely different plane almost. And that now sounds a bit hippie as I like to say. <laughs> but um but it's true. So I think I think a rehearsal process that really made an impression on me that I experienced last December because it was a space that just used a lot of atmosphere exercises and atmosphere exercises they are many of them are derived from Chekhov so Michael Chekhov is a it's just his technique his well it's called technique it's it can be applied as a quite a, a loose system it's not like you know the Stanislavski system or like the method that is really very rigid in many ways so I, I do like to work with his exercises and there I just felt like with these types of atmosphere exercises I really loved what they did to the space and that's where I kind of went from so I yeah I then got really really interested in in Chekhov's exercises and he has a very distinct yeah almost spirituality to his exercises as well and you mentioned the golden hoop, which is an exercise <laughs> that some people love it, some people absolutely hate it or think it's pretentious. Or Yeah, um, I think it really always depends on the group. So I was just like, I'm going to try this out with this group um, that we had for our play. And it worked. And it worked because everybody was generous enough to really give it a go. If you have people who, actors who say, no, this is like too you know, that's that's a bit <laughs> spacey or a bit, yeah, a bit out there and I, I can't trust this, then it doesn't work. And that's with most of his exercises. But so, yeah, if, by, by imagining that we had this golden hoop, this halo almost, that we brought to the room every time. And because we changed studio physically, it didn't matter where we were, we always took the work with us and we took our, well, spiritual room with us, so to say. And it just felt very held through this and I think as you said in a way it elevated just the quality of everything a little bit it elevated the the safety in the room so everybody could could feel free to explore and also knowing that what's in the room stays in the room and what is learned will leave the room but also yeah just just feeling really really free in this in this exploration and I think that helped the spiritual spiritual aspect in a way absolutely and it's in so many ways as well, the engagement of the people in the room is pretty much essential. It's very much like when you have someone who's trying out meditation for the first time and they're going to give it a go, but they're not necessarily 100% believers in if it works or not, or what if you're meant to feel things or see things, or it can be off-putting. Yes, and I, I think, again, that's just something... Especially we in, in Western society, we're so trained to always expect something. So we have an exercise, we expect an outcome. We meditate, we, accept, we, we expect to feel absolutely perfect afterwards or super calm. And that's just not how it works because these things take time. So if you already have an expectation that just takes away from the spontaneity and you kind of project something onto the exercise from the get-go, and then it probably won't work. So all you need is just this this spirit of generosity and just give it a go without expecting anything. And I think the beauty of the Chekhov exercises is that it's really so subjective. Like n not one exercise would kind of project 
a an, an outcome. Yes, there are tendencies, especially especially when you work with people from the same cultural background, but no thing that you feel could possibly be wrong because it's your body, it's your experience in the space with those exercises. And yeah, and so it, it you can only profit from them if you only let it happen. And for that, me as, as a as a person who leads the room in this moment, of course I completely rely on on the generosity of of the performers in the space. And I was very lucky that for this last project all three performers were so so ready to just dive into those exercises and give it a go a go without without kind of expecting anything to happen and then the magic actually happened i think the reason also the three performers myself included were so ready to give was also because it's been a difficult time to perform us squeaky voice coming in (laughs) just because you know you haven't been able to perform in a long time for some of us for many reasons not just pandemic rules related and it means that when you get to be in a space, when you are given the opportunity to perform again, you're just ready to do a lot. Yes, I think there's, there's the readiness and there's the joy. But I do think that for many performers, there's also this huge pressure because they think, oh, right, this is the first job after COVID. Um, and for many, it's the first job after like one and a half years, mm-hmm. which is like a long break in, in which performers had to hone their skills and and still keep their voices and bodies and if imagination they could. If, if they, they could, could exactly if they could um because that's also not a given because you know um in most actors they have to work a different day job to pay the bills so unlike other artists like ballet dancers who work for a company and then they just have their training every day and they're paid for their training as well of actors and performers very often it's it's just expected that they do it somewhere on the side which is a complication and i think because of that yes there was joy in the room but surely that for some performers not in our case now but things that i've heard of other directors there's a lot of they put a lot of pressure on themselves and i think especially then it's it's just vital for the it's it's so crucial for the director to keep the calm and to to create this this really creative space where where people can just yeah explore and and not feel like they have to you know project anything or when you do exercises that that you don't expect anything specific to happen what happens happens and then it's beautiful and there are things that you can use and things that you can't use and and that's all we we can try yeah absolutely there's obviously with a lot of performers having to have a side job to the end not necessarily having the space be it in their in their homes or not having access to a studio or anything there's also the mental pressure and the emotional weight of creating of the somebody else is going to do it better or i never get the parts it always happens to someone else and as you said once again the expectation of say for example you're performing in a tragedy and and your character has this very horrific scene i'm meant to make people cry as Mm. soon as you latch on to one of these preconceived expectations it's the end it's the end because that's all you focus on yeah completely agree um it's i mean no matter whether it's a it's a tragic scene or or a funny scene um there are also actors who play for the laughs and of course this can be there is a conversation to be held about this but this largely also depends on the director if if i as a the person who leads the room kind of give you the the feeling that 
you as a performer are on a different level than the character that you play and you somehow have to reach this other level of the character for me this is just not gonna work and it's never gonna work and that's why I personally don't I'm not a fan of of this idea of like you have to become the character the character is outside of you I mean we can't leave our skin um, <laughs> we really we can't leave our skin and unlike other artists who you know, play an instrument the body is our instrument so instead of searching for the things outside of your your body why not just take the actor as the central and focal point of theater because i do believe that theater is the actor's medium why not take the actor and kind of depart from there because well this is derived from intracultural practice where you put the performer in the center and it's just this notion of i've cast you as this because i see aspects of that um, character you kind of you know that there's something about you that transmits this character character's quality or what i see as the character's quality and then you go from there and this is not to be confused with anything to do with method acting because it's not i am i i am very um you're not very... asking anyone to relive their trauma no, you I need to it's... cry let's think about the most traumatizing yeah, and heartbreaking day of is... your life horrible and i think it's unethical and i don't think it's safe and also it's i don't so unhealthy. i don't want to think about you know a, a tragic event in my life when i'm in a room and when i'm in my workspace so why should i ask my co-workers and in this case um co-creatives to to do that i think it's unethical and i also think it's really unnecessary and again i think there is just a strength in chekhov who by the way used to be the best student of stanislavski and then kind of broke with that tradition and did his own thing and the strength is that what you experience like physically experience in the room will create the emotion so what we can do is if your character is someone who has just ran a mile very basic example yes we can do an exercise where you where you physically engage with your body in the room and then after that this will do something to your speech course it will do something to your speech because we've all experienced that it's different to give a speech after you've sat for half an hour than after you've ran for half an hour so the body effect the body in the space and that's just like his basic law so to say the body in the space will create the emotion and if you trust that the emotion will come naturally and you don't have to tap into any memories that are traumatizing and triggering and they frankly also just don't belong there because i'm not a psychotherapist and I can't take that responsibility and no theatre director should think that they can act as a kind of <laughs> therapist because they're not. We're not. We're creatives. Absolutely. I think, unfortunately, some people, because it's not just theatre directors, because I've seen this in certain coaches or people who call themselves coaches, mm. You see this in, in even some some managers who all of a sudden take on, not all of a sudden, but they take on this role of the saviour. Mm, and like, yes. because I'm taking you to this emotional point, yeah. I am taking you out of your thing. And, like, and it's as if you're not trained to guide someone out of these really strong emotions. Mm. Also, you we still don't know the extent of a mind and a body's physical response to trauma. Yes. 
So there is no one-size-fits-all situation. There never was, never will be, no matter the situation. Otherwise, we would all be sharing the same pair of trousers, no matter our (laughs) body shape and sizes. And it's the same there. It's the same there. And unfortunately, I mean, I've seen some directors and performers uh, try and impose stuff in the space and wanting, you know, you to open up and talk about your deepest, darkest thing. And it's just you trying to leech off of my energy it's you trying to get under my skin so that then you can allegedly bring me to a better performing level yes absolutely not (laughs) absolutely not this is called emotional manipulation it is it is 100 emotional manipulation to me it's also it really diminishes like the creative act as well creative act yes because everybody who's manipulative can emotionally manipulate people but if you do this in your profession this is, uh, to me, absolutely horrible and it's unethical. And so I understand the impulse of like wanting to, you know, if you've gone through an emotional scene of wanting to help that person, but there are other ways to help. Um, there are very simple tools and there's just also a very basic communication strategy. Like if somebody is really struggling and, and no matter who it is, if it's the, the stage manager or the deputy stage manager or one of your performers or the lighting designer who happens to be in the room no matter who it is and they approach you as a person who's leading the room and it doesn't matter whether it's the assistant director or the director or whoever it is who's leading the room in that moment and they approach you and say i can't cope with this i'm very upset there are helplines you can create a sheet with helplines you can have it ready on your electronic device or you can have it in a paper copy and and give it to your performance at the beginning but there has to be a system that says very good that you approach me with this and it's it's perfect that you approach me with this but i am not the person to help i will redirect you to the person who can actually help and there are these helplines and there are people who are trained to help in these situations and i'm not one of them what I can do is apply different tools to kind of get out of an emotional situation and to and to bring the reality of the room back to it. So to ground, we, basically. Yes, to, to ground, ground so again. that we differentiate between the truth of the performance and of the world um, of the play and reality. So between the actor and the character. And one of these simple tools, and we know this because we tried it together, is de-rolling and de-rolling originally is derived from exercises from Augusto Boal who who suggested that in order to have a healthy process and if there are emotionally challenging scenes it might be helpful to de-roll and what you do is you simply state or reenact what your character just did and you say it with your character name and then you basically take a step back and say but I as the actor I've been doing this and this and this and I've enjoyed it or I felt challenged or it was physically really exhausting. And you basically take that step of reflection and you distance yourself as a private person from what you as a creative have just done on stage or in the room. And it's simple and it can be used for almost anything from intimacy coordination or intimate scenes to fight scenes to very emotionally challenging dialogues or monologues so it's yeah it's very universally applicable exactly you dissociate from the from the emotional burden from the thing that could become a trigger or actually push on your triggers you're 
looking at it from a bird's eye view almost when you're describing mm. things and that's extremely healthy i did very much enjoy the all the intimacy work that we did because for me it's still even though i i did start performing i was quite young the intimacy director role is something still very very new mm. for me and i was talking about the rules of directing intimacy scenes and what is considered intimacy it's not necessarily a sex scene it's not necessarily a violent scene it can also just just be a conversation between two mm. people and i was talking about it with a friend in france who's a director and thinking like oh you know we're having all of the intimacy and the the intimacy directing and she was puzzled like I was mm. in the beginning being like um what is that yeah I mean it is <laughs> extremely new um yeah but it's, it's needed it's, it's needed it's, it's entirely needed because there's been so much abuse in the industry um in terms of of intimacy and I think the approaches and the tools that are now used for intimacy coordination can also be used for other other um scenes because as you say it does not have to be a kiss it does not have to be something um of a sexual nature it does not even have to be anything of like that is concerned with with sexual violence but i'm exploring this right now and I, of course i explored it with you guys how violence especially if it involves female characters is often of an intimate nature because women on stage as well as in real life when they're attacked or killed it's usually by a person that they were intimately familiar with so for me to separate especially female targeted violence but also um, violence done by female characters from intimacy is a bit bizarre because i do think that there there is intimacy between a husband and a wife when the husband beats the wife or the wife scratches <laughs> the husband's face or something like that i'm talking on on stage of course so I, I think to separate the two things is kind of bizarre. So I'm I'm just writing on this right now, how we could implement these tools and techniques that intimacy coordinators use to also um, stage female violence and female targeted violence. And it's it's new and it's it can be exposing. I think many directors who've been in the industry for longer might feel a bit overwhelmed because it's new and everything that's new is just exposing because because it's changed yes and also because it might not work always and i think we've we've just lost the ability to say okay that was a rubbish exercise <laughs> it did not work i'm sorry let's move on but again that's like this the, the safe space that you need to create if you have that it will be completely fine then it will literally be that it will be i'm sorry and let's move on and you do move on and nothing changes everybody makes mistakes in their daily professional life why shouldn't we like we if we have to put an act on in the rehearsal room to pretend we are the perfect actor and the perfect director who never make any mistakes like it's just not very truthful it's like pretending you're the best worker at at your and you can't your job and, and you, you can attempt to be the best version of yourself on that very day very much but you you're not going to be a better artist just by not making any mistakes or not just daring to to try out a new exercise or a new technique and again when i say safe space maybe need to differentiate that doesn't mean that it's a space where everything is like cuddly and and um comfortable <laughs> it does not have to be comfortable it's like, not care bear type of no, situation no absolutely not because again it's 
I'm a huge fan of Anne Bogart's essays and she writes about this, that a, a rehearsal room should have some kind of like she calls it violence, but but it's it's more kind of this a disruptive force that can happen in the room that makes it really interesting and it does not have to be comfortable because nobody is always comfortable while at work. Not a baker, not a banker. So um why should we have this kind of expectation oh we always need to be no we don't need to be comfortable in the rehearsal space we just need to be safe that means not being exploited physically sexually mentally emotionally but you can be challenged and you can be exhausted and you can get frustrated with yourself and it can be a really really rough day because you've rehearsed for six hours and that's fine as long as it's safe i think absolutely and that's that's a conversation that in the arts has been happening a little bit more since obviously me too but you know when and you and i have had very long conversations about this specific topic mm. surrounding you know the way female actresses were not respected at all for a very long time and cue the anger reminding ourselves of the story of maria schneider on mm. the the last tango in paris which got oscar nominated <laughs> for yes. all the things yes. but i still haven't watched that film i refuse to watch it it's just i it's been described I've I've read her explaining the situation mm. and then what's his name B Bertolucci yeah Bertolucci yeah. talking about the scene as if it was oh he thinks it's okay yeah he thinks it's totally okay he thinks yeah. it was totally okay yeah and I I think I mean to this day it's also it's also the fault of people who are in the industry who glorify all that like scandal and the sex that is apparently happening everywhere consensually of course which is like just not really the case like yes of course there are actors who you know and, and other creatives and directors who whatever they do in their free time like i'm always like that's none of my concern exactly. because i'm the director the moment i enter the building or the moment we're having the conversation about a character about a scene as professionals but everything else does not really concern me what you do in your private life however everything that happens around a rehearsal space and the production in the context of a production is very much my concern so even when directors have not been directly involved in a scandal i personally always think yes but you did have a responsibility and you clearly did not create the space where someone felt comfortable enough coming forward and saying this is weird i feel like there's something going on and i don't feel comfortable um so in a way, yeah, that's for, that's for me the bigger failure personally than if your work has not been that well liked or if it has not earned you five Oscar nominations. <laughs> because I think I think there's again like the question of why do we even bother doing what we do? There's so much there's so much sacrifice that comes with being an artist, and I'm glad that now our generation kind of takes a step back and says, hold on, we don't want to live this life of the tragic artist on the kind of on the edge of society you not don't really have having to a life. suffer yeah, you don't for have art. to suffer you don't have for to art. sacrifice Absolutely. your life and your dreams yes and and i think i think that it's just this notion of abuse in the art that kind of it just doesn't for me it doesn't go together because we do art because we want to elevate something we want to we want to emphasize something that we think is worth telling because if it's not, then I'm asking, why do you want to tell that story? And the only, for me, there is really an, uh, <laughs> only one right answer to that. It's because I'm passionate about the story, because the story needs to be told. If it's anything else, like 
because it's edgy and it will get me this and this or because it's gonna be an absolute commercial success but I don't care about the story at all I think something's in a dissonance and then I I, I don't think you can fake that you can fake a lot of things but you can't fake passion so if someone hates Shakespeare why do you do Shakespeare if someone hates new writing because it's a risk and people don't know the author yet why do you want to do new writing you have to ask yourself these things because surely sometimes we just you know we take a job because we know okay um i haven't worked in a while i need it for my cv okay i need it to pay the bills but if there's if there is kind of a negative feeling attached to the project don't do it because it will show and then kind of we miss the, the purpose for art and then to me it becomes something fake and then it's not truthful anymore and i think art above all has to be truthful in in what it wants to say otherwise i'm just like this is a bit pointless and then it's just a circle jerk and then you just do it for art's sake and we do it for people's sake i think absolutely i have a question for you big surprise <laughs> i wasn't gonna ask this but you you said the one word that triggered the voice of my old writing mentor <laughs> to pop at the back of my head and so here we go do all stories need telling that's a very good question because i still haven't really got an answer to that one no, he's asked me really, multiple times that's a really really good question do all stories need telling because on one hand it I, kind yeah. of depends on also who owns the exactly story. I, I just wanted to say that like generally i would say yes but then i think it depends a who tells the story and in which con context is the story being told so when in nazi germany's plays were put on to glorify that yeah <laughs> everything that was going on really i'm like that that's to me that's again it's not art's purpose to propagate anything that, that was propaganda exactly so for me for me there's a big difference so exactly yeah. again, again the, the question do all stories need telling i think if somebody wants to tell that story um but wants to tell it now from you know let's say someone writes a new play about an artist who has been working under nazi germany or occupied territory and who has been creating art there and then that can be really, really interesting. But if somebody feels like they need to tell a story to, to yeah, just like propaganda work. Or even to just really, it's really problematic. So I think we always need to ask ourselves to what end. Um, and this is a hugely sub subjective question because people have so many different motivations. Why they want to tell a story or why they want to, yeah, why they want to produce art of any kind, really, not just creator. And of course you can't prohibit people from doing what they want to do and sadly not all reasons are that noble because yes there are people there are a lot of people in the arts who are just there because of the money because they, they've been lucky enough to reach a position where it actually pays really good money um, and there are people in the industry who do it because of the status or the prestige or for the because, buzz yeah for the, the buzz nowadays just for a, the buzz. yeah or for for personal or to, really personal gain to tick a box you know, Taking if you're box, if you're yeah. a certain type of actor, you know, I need to have I don't know performed as Hamlet by this yes. age, or I need to have done this yes. part in my life, this part, this part, this part, yes. and I'm ticking all the boxes. And I'm 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 saying this fully aware that sometimes again people just have bills to pay and have have to do certain 
things at certain points and maybe um, some components of their contract that they are agreeing to is 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 not ideal and that can happen so i'm not i'm not accusing per se um, anyone who who you know takes on a job that they're not 100% passionate about but i i do think it's really problematic yeah i'm, ju- I'm just really thinking about your question it, it kills creativity when you yes, when does. you when you take on a job and i recently did a a little research into you know my circle of of creative friends the th- one of the most common responses i got was having to get a side job that yes. actually sucks all the air and energy out of mm. me and having been in that position i fully relate because yes. yes my creativity died for a little bit yeah i think i think that and this is advice that <laughs> yeah lindsay turner actually said that that you need to make sure that whatever you do on the side as a creative you need to like it because yeah. otherwise you're not gonna you're, you're not gonna last you're not gonna stay in the industry because it's too much pain having to do a job every day that really sucks the life out of you and then rushing home and then rushing to your rehearsal or to your studio where you paint or dance or whatever you do because you won't be you won't be replenished with anything and also you'll become unfortunately it creates like it feeds into the lack mindset and the oh the others have it but i don't and yes, it just maintains yes, yes, you yes. in that low vibrational state in that i only see lack and I open the door to self-hate, to mm. the absence of compassion mm. and understanding to myself and my situation. And it doesn't bring you to a place where you can connect to solutions. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about your question again. I do think I have the answer. I think, yes, all stories need to be told, but there's a moment and an artist and that's very specific. And a time and, then, and a place. And a time and a place. And then, yes, every story can be told. Like I'm fascinated by so many stories that I know it's not my place to tell right now. And when someone will pick up those projects, I'm just going to be cheering on the sidelines and buy my ticket to their show or to their art exhibition or whatever, because I know that this is not it's not my place to tell that story right now. And I think that has something to do with um, modesty as well as an artist, because we're I'm glad that, again, that many, many creatives I had the pleasure of working with, they kind of they they distance themselves from this notion of like the creative genius because it's like what is a creative genius like yes sure we have someone like mozart who was an absolute genius yes but hectic lifestyle yes and also how did <laughs> how did he make a room an orchestra feel we don't know well did, do you know he actually this is so good it's one of my favorite <laughs> this is one of my favorite opera facts i don't have a lot of opera facts but when i do <laughs> Um, he actually loathed and hated one of the lead sopranos of, I can't remember which <laughs> opera theatre, I'm going to look it up. He hated her with a passion and he didn't like her voice and didn't want her to sing, but she had been contracted, so she <laughs> had to sing. What did the man do? Yeah. He wrote the most difficult oh, aria wow. to sing out Despite of pure her, yeah. pettiness yeah. and spite. Yeah, so so again, I think I think we have to... We have to go back to this like what is a genius and and do we really want people who are hailed as geniuses because i th- I think that's a really important question because I think there's there's something to say of someone's talent and people might be artistically you know superior to other people or like uh, just really appeal to the taste of of today's society 
of the consumer of art because let's let's be honest it's it's a market as well yeah and we only it's sur- a business yes, guys don't forget it's a business it's a business and, and we only su- survive if there's enough demand for what we're producing and it just might so happen that people absolutely hate what i'm doing and now what i can do is lying to myself and think okay they like i'm making a, up an example but like they like um theaters made in the style of a black mirror episode so i'm going to do that right now because that's might be what is demanded and i think well okay but i would be i would literally i would be lying to myself because it's it's a and and i'm not saying that this is not cool i'm sure that i would personally enjoy watching something like that but i don't think i would really it's not what i really want to do it's not your medium of expression it's not it's not my story that i want to tell so and we you know um, in hindsight, it's always easy to say, but so many artists, they've been not popular in their lifetime. I mean, it's it's just the truth. And all you can do, really, I think, is stay truthful to yourself. And if your art is absolutely not in demand, don't beat yourself up, because you can only do what you truly feel needs expression. Again, you can fake many things, you can't fake that, and it will it might be a temporary success and might even bring you loads of money, but I think... In the long run, and again, this is just very personal, subjective, and has to do with my own spirituality, I, I don't think it brings you anything. I don't think it it brings you anywhere that's kind of, that's beneficial for you in the long run as, as a, yeah, as a soul going your journey, because it's just quick gratification of, of what is needed right now. And personally, I think I would prefer than just you know, taking a step back, having a, a a job that I also really like and doing my art on the side. At least I'm not lying to anyone and especially not to myself. And if anything, I think that's the, the one thing we, we really, really owe to ourselves that, that we just express what we want to and what we feel is true. Stop censoring yourself, people. Stop yeah. censoring yourself. We've been there. It's not worth it. And if you, when you censor your connection to art, when you censor your own expression, be it, you know, in art, in work, in life, you actually get a physical response that can include a very tight jaw, a very high anxiety-prone <laughs> breath. You, bad back, sadness, back, yeah. lungs, all of that. And insomnia because your mind is going round and round and round feeling of heaviness of depression even because you're not allowing yourself to be it's not even expressing it's beyond that you're not allowing yourself Mm. to be and i think again like with other i i know that art is special because it has something to do with you know at least for me with my innermost feelings and 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 the need to express those but we have to different we can't expect people even our friends and family might i mean i know that from myself i'm hurt when people that i really love don't like something i did and of course they're being very kind and respectful about it but of course i can tell it's not you know i'm, I'm <laughs> i can tell and it hurts me but really if we're being really honest it's my ego that's hurt because it's like oh my god you don't like my thing why i want it and really why it's because I wanted to be this thing that everybody loves. And it's like, no, also this can't be the goal. People are so different. Some you people are just going to hate everyone. You. you can't please everyone. It's like with, with who you are, with your art. You can't please everyone. Your art 
won't won't please everyone what's important is like looking at who you've reached with your art like who liked it who took away what and that can be really super unexpected sometimes and that's then the joy of it and 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 you know if 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 you feel like your message has not gone through then yes working on your technique on how you express it on how you frame the expression how you frame your content to to get it across clearer the next time and that's all you can do really but expecting from people even if they're your best friends or your family you can't expect them to like their work it, it's it's also absurd that we as artists feel it should be that way and of course we feel that way because it's so connected to who we are but it's as if a baker expects of his friends and family all to like all of the things he bakes some people are gonna like the strawberry cake and other people are gonna like the sourdough bread can and, i have and a lemon okay. tart can, yeah exactly but <laughs> but that's how it is it would be ridiculous for that baker to be like oh but you don't like my lemon tart because maybe that person just hates lemon in general so maybe a person just really hates tragic comedies so that person is just not gonna like my tragic comedy just because it's me and just because i'm their best friend it doesn't matter so kind of just again taking a step back and just saying yes it's my art and it's so deeply connected to who i am but it's not me, I'm my own person, this is my art, and people still love you. They are just not always going to give you personal five-star reviews, and that's okay, we learn from that. Again, just like being okay with actually actually making mistakes and honouring that love learning curve that I believe every human, but especially we as artists in our profession, we're on a learning curve, a constant one, and it never ends. And if, if we're 99, it's, it, it's not done. And there was this artist, Swiss artist, who I absolutely loved he he was in his studio until he died and i think he died with like 103 and he was 103 years old and until the end he just went into into and he was hugely successful so he went into his studio every day and he just painted and 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 and, and i think that's i think that's all we can do we can just try again and again and we see that in many artists monet did the same he just painted those water lilies every day and not all of them made it into galleries a couple of them did but that's all we can do and and just try again and not forget why we do it not forget the joy and the love that we have for our craft and stop expecting and projecting and just being grateful for when it's happening for us and i think with that ease things will happen that was very wise and oh so true on that note many thanks desi for popping by for this little thank conversation you, you. where can the good people of the internet find you well they can find me on instagram on um, vivi revenger also on twitter but i have to say i'm a twitter granny i don't understand twitter so instagram is better <laughs> not much for the digital age so i do theater not film <laughs> i think you'd be good at film though because you have a sense of what an image Yes, is. I would love. Actually, I would love to do film, and and um, I also have a website where you can check out other projects that I did, and that's um, visirevenger.com. Obviously, that. all the links will be in the description as usual. You know this, Desi, my good friend. Thank you very much for popping thank by. Thank you very, very much for the invitation. And thank you everyone who tuned into this week's Mindful Conversation of the Artful Athlete Podcast. Your regular fix is still happening every Thursday. And uh, yeah, that's it for now. I'll speak to you soon. Bye.